backroom politics. And good afternoon out there on Radio Land. It is Tuesday, which means it is time for the best political talk show you've never heard of. It is Backroom Politics live in Washington, D.C. and across the National Capital Region on Blog Talk Radio. Joining me as they do every Tuesday, he is the man that he is the former one-star admiral in your United States Navy. He is the man that we call Admiral Ken Carradine. Admiral Ken, how are you, sir? Helps if I turn on your mic, too. Admiral Ken, how you doing? Freezing in a snowy Huntsville, Alabama. How are you? Oh, gosh. Yeah, they've got to be going through some all kinds of rough patches if you're in Huntsville, Alabama, and it's freezing rain. They know don't just throw Brits on it, right? I hope so. (laughs) Okay, well, we'll find out. And he is the former Undersecretary of Commerce serving at last count under four presidents. He is the longtime Senate staffer, longtime Washington insider, the man that we know as the Honorable Alan Moore. Hello, Alan. Hello, Justin. And we obviously have a lot to catch up on. There is a ton of stuff going on inside the Beltway, uh, whether it is the, and I'm going to say the word because apparently all the other news networks are, whether it is the shit show that is going on with the shitholes comment, it is the race to government shutdown, it is the immigration questions going around, but we're going to start, if it's Tuesday, that means that there's breaking Russian news, and the breaking Russian news is that the New York Times is reporting that uh, Steve Bannon, the ousted Breitbart executive and former chief strategist to the White House, has in fact been subpoenaed by Robert Mueller, the special counsel investigating the president's involvement with Russia and Russia influencing the 2016 election. On Tuesday, this comes at the same time on Tuesday, today, the same Steve Bannon appeared in front of the House Intelligence Committee behind closed doors, which has got everybody speculating what possibly came down from that. But uh, the subpoena has been issued. The, the question that now comes up and what everybody's asking is, is this a result of the book, the book that we know as Fire and Fury, uh, the book uh, written by um, uh, Michael Wolf? The question that comes up is, is, did the book have anything to do with it? Let me ask you, uh, uh, Alan Moore, do you think that this is in result to the alleged quotes said by uh, Bannon in the book Fire and Fury? Well, as I as I said uh, right after the book came out, his comments about uh, uh, Eric Trump Jr. Uh, having having that meeting was treasonous and unpatriotic. Um, uh, assured me, and I said it at the time, we can now know for certain that Steve Bannon will be called by Mueller. Now, I'm guessing that Mueller had other reasons, there, that there's a, lo- a long pattern here and, and, and so on. Remember, Bannon came sort of late to the campaign after that meeting uh, uh, even occurred. Um, but but uh it doesn't matter. He obviously knew something about it, and he was also there during the Flynn period uh, 
the lying to the vice president and so on. So there are other reasons that Bannon would be a person of interest. But it, it seemed to me that when he linked Eric Trump, the meeting and the word treason together, it guaranteed that he would go. And now he's been subpoenaed and he will go to talk to Mueller. Admiral Ken, is, is this a sign that we're starting to get closer and closer to the president's known inner circles? Are, are we going to start seeing people with the last name of Trump or Kushner uh, being subpoenaed by the special counsel's office, do you think? Well, so I'll, I'll take a question in two parts. Do do I think this is you know a sign that we're getting closer? Uh, I, I honestly I don't know. Um, every time I turn around, there's yet another layer of the onion being peeled back. Um, there's yet another lie uh, from a member of uh, what used to be Trump's inner circle being exposed. Um, and then I guess the, the other part of the question is, do I think that we're going to start seeing names like Trump and Kirshner, uh being called in front of um, the special counsel? I, I sincerely hope so. Uh, I think that, you know, I, I, I've never been a, a legal investigator, uh, but it would appear to me that the, the logical approach was to, step, was to start on the periphery of things. And if the evidence, trail of evidence, led you toward a, a center or toward a core, then you follow that. And if you think about what we've seen so far uh, in the way of indictments, um, uh, charges, uh, witnesses being brought forward, that appears to be how um, Mueller is, is conducting this investigation. So uh, if nothing else but to bring this to an end, I would hope that those, that those names start uh, appearing. Uh, my fear is that if, even if there is something going on, if something nefarious happened, that the country is going to grow weary of this investigation, similar to uh, how it grew weary of, of Ken Starr back during the Clinton years. Uh, so much so that when something is found, or if something is found, there will not be um, the the stomach for 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 taking it to a, a, a logical conclusion. And I and I think that would be a great great mis mis uh, mis uh, use of uh, the system. But Alan Moore, I I I gotta believe understanding the way things are done in a special counsel or an independent counsel's office that. Uh, that had the special counsel's office and Robert Mueller asked Bannon to at least come in for a discussion with legal counsel present, that would have been a lot more under the radar than having to be subpoenaed. Was the subpoena a good idea uh, for Bannon or does this mark an increase of pressure on those close to the Trump campaign? So the subpoena is to appear before the grand jury. So right. I think it, you, you you need a subpoena. I don't th- I don't know that you come in voluntarily. Typically, um, what we don't know is whether Bannon may have already spoken to the to the Mueller people. You know, they they talk to a lot of folks and they don't announce it. Um, so it's it's entirely possible that 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 Bannon has met before. Uh, this subpoena is uh, uh, a request to appear before a grand jury, which I think. Is, is pretty standard to do it that way. I, I could be wrong. Uh, maybe sometimes it's volunteer, voluntary, but it's the grand jury that he's now going to appear before. It, it, it almost sounds like, though, uh, Admiral Ken, that if I'm Steve Bannon, 
if if the special counsel's office comes to me and says, hey, we want to talk to you, uh, in order to save face with Trump, he says, you know what, show me some paper and then I'll come talk. Is this some background coverage for – does this help Bannon maybe patch things up by going to the president, hey, I had no choice, he served me? I don't know if there's enough patches to put in that boat. I mean, it's it's taken on a tremendous amount of water, and I don't know if there's anything near that can be done. Uh, the president, um, who is uh, very, very adept at, uh, at uh, conducting his feuds in a public setting, has made no real comments uh, with regard to patching up the differences between he, himself and Steve Bannon. I mean, uh, I mean, we, we, we have to go back too far to hear the, the, the new moniker, Sloppy Steve. Um, so I, I, don't, I don't know that, that Bannon's particularly worried about that right now. Um, knowing, you know, knowing what we've seen from Steve Bannon, um, uh, I think that it's safe to say that he probably holds, um, at least at one time, he held the, uh, the, the Mueller investigation in contempt. And I think that he may have, there may be some of that left over to where he'd say, you know what, I'm not talking to you unless you make me. And okay, fine, here's, here's, here's your subpoena. But um, I, I'm not so sure that he's really interested in saving whatever face he needs to save with Donald Trump, because I think if you go back, even the best of days uh, uh, coming, coming forward, the ability for Bannon to have sway with this White House to do the things that he wanted to do based on some of the comments he's made about how he'd like to change America. I think those days are gone. Uh, Alan Moore, does 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 this look like that this could be uh, an unraveling problem for the president and for the White House? Does he know enough to be dangerous to the administration? Impeach the hell out of me. Um, But, but, uh, uh, you know, Mueller's going to find out and eventually we'll all know. Um, We, we, we we don't we don't know what prompted Bannon to say that uh, in in his mind that meeting was was treasonous and unpatriotic. Um, all we know is that after the fact, after it was public, that Bannon said, "I wasn't I wasn't talking about Eric Trump. I was talking about Paul Manafort, who attended the meeting along with Jared Kushner. But it was Eric Trump who set up." Uh, uh, the meeting. Um, so um, it, it, it we'll find out what Bannon knows, but Bannon was certainly around. Bannon can talk to a whole host of issues. What, what did the president know? When did the president know it? Um, I don't recall now whether uh, Bannon was on the plane when the president supposedly helped craft the explanation of that meeting, which characterized it as a meeting to discuss uh, Russian adoption, um, which, of course, was not the purpose of the meeting, even though it became a subject discussed during the meeting. It was just a little too clever. Uh, I can't recall if Bannon was present, but Bannon... Um, uh, he, he's, got, he's got so many things he can talk about. He has famously said that he thought that the firing of, of Jim Comey was, was perhaps the dumbest political decision made in modern political history. Well, what does he know about that? Who said what to whom? What does he know about the president's motives? What, 
not what does he guess, but what did he see? What what did he witness? What did he hear? So uh, I think there's all sorts of things that, that Bannon can talk about. Having said that, that doesn't mean that Bannon is holding a smoking gun that will uh, the, implicate um, in an undeniable way the president. They, they look incompetent. They look like they were looking for information from the Russians that might help them politically. That's embarrassing, but, but not on its face uh, illegal. Um, but what Mueller, is, what Mueller is looking for is prosecutable offense. And uh, I don't know what Bannon – I don't know, A, what the facts are, and I Justin? don't know what Bannon knows about what actually happened. Justin? Yeah, go, go ahead, Admiral Ken. I think there's one component that that I think has not been really discussed either in uh, on the show or even in the news outlets, and that's the timing of when these comments were made. Um, you know, if you go back and you look at um, some of at some of the underlying vitriol um, in in uh, what what uh, Wolf has quoted um, uh, Steve Bannon and others to have said. You go back and look at when this 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 whole interview process was taking place. Well, Bannon was getting pushed out that time, and um, and I think it, you know putting yourself uh, even mildly in his head. Hey, I got you elected, and you're you're letting your kids push me out. You know, double dog poop on your shoes, and um, <laughs> and that's as clean is as it, I can get. It is that a new political? Is that a political or a naval term, Admiral? Uh, that, that's that is a, that is what happens after a week of being shithole in the air all week. Uh, <laughs> but, <laughs> but are you sure uh, you want to say dog poop and not dog pee? Yeah, yeah, but it, yeah, it, okay. It, but the point the point is, you know, he was angry when this was going on, and and so you know I think you know he, you know for a guy who was once a naval officer, he didn't seem to have learned learned the um the the thing of you got to take heed what you say of your seniors because if you don't it's going to come back and bite you and apparently uh, he let his he let his emotions take 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 hold for that period of time and and now we've got fire and fury. So Alan Moore when. When we look at this and we see the increase, because this is not the first subpoena that we've heard about in the past couple of weeks, it seems to me that with the grand jury being convened, that that they are rolling up something big in the special counsel's office. Uh, does Don McGahn have reason to be concerned right now as far as legal exposure for the administration versus uh, any sort of exposure they may have had with, uh, let's say, uh, the campaign? <laughs> I don't know, Justin. I'm also I'm chuckling to myself wondering, why are we talking about Don McGahn when we should be talking about immigration, shitholes, shithouses, and, and we the major are, story of the week? I don't – well, I, I think I suggest happens. we – Instead of guessing about about Don McGahn, the the counsel to the president's possible legal exposure in all of this, something that none of us know anything about, um, I suggest we move move it forward. I don't know, Don McGahn. I don't know. Okay, there's you don't think that there should be any reason he should be concerned about Steve Bannon being subpoenaed. 
there's all kinds of reasons that they all need to be concerned. Of course there are. Steve Bannon may know stuff, um, and, but it, I don't know that it's Don McGahn who's so much in jeopardy, not that he's not trying to be protective of the president. Um, it's the president that, who needs to be worried, and, every, and all the rest of us need to be worried because this president shows no discipline, no ability to have perspective, to sit back and watch and let things unfold. He's likely to be tweeting out crazy stuff uh, about about this and and uh, uh, becoming a further diversion at a time where uh, the country needs his full attention on matters yeah. both domestic and foreign. So the other piece of breaking news that we have out of Washington, in case you are not seeing it right now, the presidential physician is in fact addressing the media and has been addressing the media for the past hour. Here's the bottom line. The president, the, the president's physician has no concerns about Trump's cognitive ability and Dr. Ronnie Jackson, the U.S. Public Health Service doctor assigned to the White House, is saying that uh, pretty much he's in excellent physical condition. The worst thing he's got is some highly cho- high cholesterol, and he apparently takes Ambien on long international trips. Other than that, that's the latest coming out of the White House. Uh, the reason why we bring up Steve Bannon, Steve Bannon is still very big news, but we're gonna, we are going to move on. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we are going to talk about the immigration deal, the parent question coming out of the Senate hearing with uh, Kirsten Johnson, the, the Secretary of Homeland Security. What happened between last Tuesday and last Thursday? That will be our topic when we come back. This is Backroom Politics live from Washington, D.C. We'll be back in three minutes. Stay with us. This is Backroom Politics, live on Blog Talk Radio. We'll be back in a few minutes. Stay with us. Politics. We'll be back momentarily. Stay with us. <laughs> 
new romance for me It's foolish to start For that old feeling Is still in my here live in the Natural Capital Region. I'm your host, moderator, Justin Russell. Joining me as they do every Tuesday, Admiral Ken Carradine, the Honorable Alan Moore. Hey, we're going to talk about the other big story coming out today, and it involves the immigration fight. It is a big fight now. In apparently what seemed to be a bipartisan meeting last Tuesday where there seemed to be some cohesive maneuvering to try and find a uh, solution to the big DACA deal, the Deferred Action Against uh, Children. Uh, DACA is now still in question. And when a Thursday, and during a Thursday meeting with uh, both Democrat and Republican leadership, President Trump went on to say when talking about chain immigration and the immigration lottery started talking about why do we need immigrants from those shitholes, quote unquote, that is a quote unquote that is actively being used on the air on big media. Why are we making immigrants from those shitholes? And instead we should probably take them more from Norway, which has led to a large group of those in the media, a large group of those here inside Washington calling for the president's rear end on this one, saying that that is just basically racist-based immigration talk. All of this while discussions of attaching the DACA question, the wall, and other immigration protocols onto a budget item or onto a budget bill could prevent a government shutdown, mounting pressure here in Washington and on the Hill about coming to some conclusion and bringing a solution to the table that will appease the White House in preventing a government shutdown, which will happen as of Friday if nothing goes forward. Uh, Admiral Ken, let me say to you, let's let's start on the whole issue of calling places like uh, certain African countries. Nigeria, I believe, was one of the ones he called out. Uh, Calling places like Haiti shitholes. Uh, should should America be upset with the president making those comments, or is he, in his mind, speaking just truth? Well, um, so I, I guess I'll come at this from a from a, uh, a personal perspective and from a uh, um, a political perspective. From a personal perspective. Um, should should America be upset? Yeah. Um, as someone who had ancestors who came from one of those shithole nations, um, I uh, I took great exception and offense to it. But uh, as I said in last week's show, um, the president has has basically made the act of saying outrageous 
and what one might have called stupid comments a, a part of his normal op, op, opera, operations. That's, that's, that's just who he is. And for words like that to be uttered by a modern-day president, not that um, there have been predecessors before who, who probably said worse, but to hear a modern-day president um, uh, say that, um, to hear a president that is supposedly uh, a representative of the Republican Party, of which uh, I am a, a, a still a part, even though I'm facing great pressure uh, internally and externally to, to, to go a different way, uh, is even is even more disheartening. Um, I think the thing that 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 really blows me away is you know I was I was I was away from D.C. this weekend, and I uh, had a couple of conversations both on Twitter and on the phone uh, with with uh, some some people who are also Republicans. And the thing that I I still can't get around is um, the ability for the hardened the hardened Trump supporter to to support and, and, and not, not back away from uh, the president when he says things uh, like this and says what he said with regard to African countries and Haiti uh, in particular. Um, they are um, quick to point out that there are shithole places here in the United States and um, and that uh, that people shouldn't be offended by that. He's just speaking truth. Um, there's there's a Fox News reporter who basically tried to defend the president by saying this is how people how the forgotten people in bars in America uh, talk and that's okay and they like it. I saw a YouTube video of a woman in New Jersey uh, basically going on about how much she loves this president because he's saying the things that they all think. And so if nothing else, if nothing else, uh, President. President Trump's comments um, have brought to light uh, the fact that we are not a post-racial country, even though people tried to say that when, when Barack Obama was elected. Uh, we have still got significant problems with regard to race and race relations, and that there is still um, the inability for for a great number of people to understand that when a person in, 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 in the highest office in the land uses divisive language uh, to denigrate uh, persons from one particular part of the world immigrating to the U.S. and, and, and raising up another based on the color of their skin, um, that's a problem. And, and it's unfortunate that, um, that, that a lot of our fellow Americans don't really see or have a problem with that 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 view of the world it's it's bad it's 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 shameful and and i have to admit um it's it's also a little um confirming of 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 a fear that i've that i've i've held about how people really feel uh when 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 uh, they they come and when they encounter a person of color alan you agree with that yeah i think i agree with Every word that that Ken said, it, it's it's very sad in so many ways. I don't feel it the personal way he does. I feel it on his behalf, on on behalf of friends, uh, acquaintances, people I admire, don't even know but admire and respect. And I, it, when when the president speaks in the language of the lowest common denominator, it makes me sick. And rather than than, than speaking from a higher plane, rather than 
teaching and guiding. I mean, there's a debate, as we all know, about what the president actually said, whether he used the term shithole or shithouse, as though there was a, any, any meaningful difference there. The sad part of this, the sad part of this is that when you hear the talk, you hear the response, you look at that, those comments in, in, in terms of the historical chronicle of the things he has said and done in the last year and a half and even before. What we have, not all the time we can debate how often, what we have is President shit for brains. And think about how sickening and troubling that is. This is a guy who does not in so many ways get it. He does not mind playing to no more than a third of the country. And probably when it comes to this kind of ugliness, uh, significantly less than that. There are certainly hardcore people. What, what he doesn't realize, he tries to claim after uh, a history, and we can talk about it if we want to, of all these examples. You can forgive one or two things. His Muslim ban, Mexican judge, you pick you know, a whole host of, of, of issues, particularly the Charlottesville comments and the moral equivalency he painted. But when you, when you add them all up, this president is a racist. That is a horrible thing to say. It's a horrible thing to believe. But let me, it's a horrible thing to have to, Alan, let me, to watch and witness again and again Alan, let me and, jump again in, and add though. it all up. But yeah. let me let me jump in, Alan. I mean, to, I mean to to sit there and say on open air that I mean, and I understand this is your belief. Is you don't think that that's a little strong? Do you really truly believe that that the occupant of the Oval Office, President Donald J. Trump, is in fact a racist? You believe that? I do, and it took me a long time to get there. There are other people who've been there well before me, but you you. You add up the history. I made a brief reference to several things. There, there are more. When you add them all up, you know, we all – some people got to this point long ago. Others would, would, would be furious that, that, that I could say such a thing. But I can't ignore the, the accumulation of evidence that in his heart, he's a racist. Does that mean, now, he's not the most racist president the country's ever had. I mean, we, but we got to go pretty far back in history. Uh, uh, probably, to, I was well, hearing his, somebody his favorite talk president, about, uh, uh, His favorite president is uh, Andrew Jackson, so we're, we're tying well, up I'm, loose. Uh, but I, I, I'm, I'm going to look at, at post-Civil War and, and I was hearing things about Andrew Johnson who followed Abraham Lincoln and talked about how he tried to undo uh, the, the results of the, uh, of the Civil War and undo uh, uh, 14th Amendment and, and other things. But this guy uh, has proven again and again what, where, where his heart lies and he shows no willingness to be reflective about it to wonder, am I hurting people? Um, is, is this, isn't this what America is? Uh, Alan, are there people was, who disagree with me who might persuade yeah, but Alan, me? Alan, he cares yeah, not. But Alan, let me just let me ask you this question, though, Alan. Hold on. When you, this was, by all accounts, said in a closed-door meeting 
in the cabinet room at the White House. I mean, we know that there are past presidents, and again, I'm, I'm not, I'm not stating, and let me just be clear for the record, I am not saying that what the president said was horribly inappropriate and not something we expect to hear out of our president. However, we also know that this was a closed door meeting. Media was not present. That this was leaked out by a few sources that I know of, one of them being Senator Dick Durbin, Democrat out of Illinois, who's the first to bring this up. We also know that there are also past presidents that have used foul language. Apparently, uh, Ronald Reagan used to use foul language all the time. I mean, yeah, we're, not there, about, we being, yeah, we're not we're not we're not talking. But are we we're not talking foul sensitive? language? Well, I mean, no, no, no. Okay, well, I mean, no. Fair enough. Fair. No, it's a fair question. So, so, so here's my here's my response to that. Back in the '70s, uh, Donald Trump and his father's uh, company uh, had a, a a settlement with with uh, uh, the U.S. government of hundreds of thousands of dollars based on uh, uh, the, the the charge that they were discriminating against African Americans and renting uh, apartments to them. So it starts there. Then. During the famous incident of the, the multiple rape of a woman in Central Park, Donald Trump, uh, then simply a private citizen, took out full-page ads in the New York Times saying that the, the, the death penalty needed to be reinstated against these teenagers who were charged and ultimately, after years of incarceration, released when um, police misconduct and prosecutorial misconduct showed that they were completely and totally innocent. Then – there was the long effort to attribute Kenyan citizenship to our African-American president. You know, if he's not an American, uh, 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 a Native American, that's an interesting question. But there were racial undertones to this that did alive and, and caused him to be interested and caused some people to be supportive of him. Then he called when he announced his campaign that Mexican immigrants were murderers and rapists. Um, then he proposed a Muslim ban on all Muslims for you know, some indefinite period of time. Then he made the comments about the moral equivalence of the two sides in Charlottesville. Then he suggested to, in an interview with the New York Times that Nigerian immigrants to America would never want to go back to their huts. It's not the comments he made about shithouse, shithole, etc. It's the accumulation of evidence, and at some point... You know, using the old phrase, if it walks like a duck and talks like a duck again and again over a long period of time, you need to call it out, and call him out on Admiral it. He Ken, doesn't see himself that way, but I, that's, how I, that's where I am today. And Admiral Ken, does the president have in a certain expectation that when he's in a closed-door meeting with staff or with, you know, with, you know, with others in government that – there's a reasonable expectation that he could lower the shields a little bit to make a comment like that? Or is, is Alan right that this, in fact, is inappropriate, unacceptable behavior by a seated president? I don't know that he, that, that he should have an expectation of keeping his racism quiet is a valid question. I think that's a specious argument on its surface. But do, I, I mean, mean, do you think Alan, that, Alan, you Alan, think... Alan, Alan, Alan has just presented possibly one of the most compelling and concise um, 
arguments as to where the president's true heart lies. It doesn't matter whether he was in a private meeting in the cabinet room or sitting in the presidential golden john. This is who he is. And the fact of the matter is, what is frightening, what is frightening on my, uh, for me, are the number of people that I know, that I have known for years, that I have served with, that I've been in combat with, that still back this man, regardless of the fact that he is possibly the worst racist at the highest level of government that we have seen in my lifetime. And I'm 58 years old. You, you, so you agree with Alan that completely, fact, completely. The, the president, in your view, the president is in and, fact and, a racist. And, and completely. And you know, worse than that, worse than that, he, you know, if you look at the president's uh, history of mendacity, when he says that I am the least racial, racist person you'll ever meet, and I didn't say this, he is, he is the little boy with his finger in the dike at this point. I don't believe a word that comes out of his mouth um, when he says he didn't do something or he didn't say something. Not at all. He's completely – he has shown no credibility or ability to tell the truth on a consistent basis. And it started, it started the first day he was in office lying about his crowd sizes. Yeah, but you see, here, here's the problem I have with this: is do do I agree with you guys that, that his his comments are grossly inappropriate? Absolutely, absolutely, it is. Uh, you know, having dealt with, uh, having seen and dealt with people coming from Haiti in one of the most dangerous migrations in 1994 I've ever seen, people leaving Haiti, getting on inflatable tubes, and and just having nature hopefully carry them to the United States, you know, watching these people sacrifice their lives, their children and everything. Well, that's the reason they did that, Justin, is because they were coming from a shithole country. No, no, but that's where I'm getting with is, is that, is, you know, the the Haitian people are not the shithole problem. The, the, the people in Haiti, the people in Nigeria, these are not, "Quote unquote," people causing this shithole, but you know, I look at I look at Haiti. I will admit, I will admit that I have called places shitholes before, foreign places. If you've ever seen Juarez, Mexico, guess what? Justin, Juarez, Justin, Mexico. Justin, I have Justin, called a shithole previously. Justin, but, let me help you. Yeah. Justin, did you call it that because of the color of the people who live there? No. Then that's no. Justin. Justin, you are but not. But how a do we not? But the president. But the president. Did, but the president did. He made. He drew that line. He drew that line. How? You didn't. And how? Justin. 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 Like you. Justin. Like you. I have been in some pretty problematic places in the world. And yeah, right. I probably used that term. And not just about you know places in the United States. Bayonne, New Jersey comes to mind when I was an ensign. Oh, okay. He, 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 leave the Garden State out of this. Leave oh, no, the no, Garden no, State no, out. No, 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 no. You can't <laughs> see because because unlike the president, I'm not drawing an equivalency between the the color of the people the color of the people's skin that live in a particular place and saying they shouldn't come to this country. That's what he did. Okay. <laughs> that that and that in itself that in itself is the issue. And, and, Do you and what, what Kim said? What Kim? Hang on. What what Kim said there is really, really important, because the defenders of Trump will say, "Oh my God, these places are shitholes." Well, it's one thing to say that a slum 
or the rubble after an earthquake or a dirty beach um, is a shithole. I've stayed in some shithole hotels, people, and I've been in some rotten, terrible places in refugee camps all over the world. They were true shitholes. But, but I never thought of a country as being a shithole, and I never labeled the people of that country as, if you will, shitholes. And that was what this president was saying. We don't want those people from those shithole countries. We want that people from Norway. Point. I mean, yes. No, wait a minute. Now, let me ask this question: Is if if the president does not bring up the comment about Norway, does this become or does this stay a big deal? Yes, yes. The Norway just was sort of the disgusting, pardon the expression, white cream on the top. It, it, it. But the but the comments were wrong, and they were personal, and they were racist. And, and if, if, if this came, if this was a different president with a different history, then I would be a lot more cautious and careful about drawing the conclusion that I have drawn. You have to look at it, though, in the setting of all that he has said and done, not only all of his life, but in the last year and a half in the campaign um, and, and, and while serving as president. And and it's part of a piece. It's not an outlier. It's part of a piece of who this man is. You talked about how should he be able to say something in private. Look, presidents, we all say things in private all the time. Uh, Richard Nixon was one of the most vulgar people uh, that we've, we, we've ever seen, if you look at the tapes. And he had a anti-Semitic streak, among others. Okay, fine. Um, not fine. It was it was it was grotesque and horrendous. But but what we see with Donald Trump is he, he has no reason if he's got outsiders, if he's got members of Congress who would come in there. He may. It's dangerous enough if he says things like this in front of staff. And apparently he does. I mean, it's reported that he talks this way and people around him say, Mr. President, if you talk like that in front of others, um, you're going to get into trouble. It's not going to help you. It's going to hurt your efforts. Um, and he doesn't, he doesn't internalize those things. He either doesn't accept it or just doesn't, maybe accepts it in the moment because as he famously now is, is being seen as the guy who tends to agree with the last person he talked to, um, which is also a very uh, a dangerous uh, proposition. But, but, but here's a guy who said those things, it, it, it became public, and then he proceeded, according to numerous reports, to call various friends of his and say, to ask how they thought it went, how it was playing, whether this was working for him politically, whether this was pleasing uh, his base. He had no awareness of the damage that comments like this uh, have. But as a guy who constantly shifts his position and has an enormous amount of personal charm, uh, apparently, he thinks that he can get out of every situation he gets into. The problem when you're president is every word you speak is recorded, and people keep track of what you say. And when you add it up, like I was trying to do earlier, it's pretty hard not to come to the conclusion that I drew. 
and I Admiral would add, Ken? I, I would add that, um, you know, I, I recognize Justin that you're playing the part of the moderator, and that you want to um, make sure that in the discussion of this subject, that we 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 discuss and 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 um, and bring to light all of the facts and all the possibilities. That said, um, I, I I have given up on looking for anything positive to be mined out of the Trump administration. Uh, as a member of the Republican Party who is a person of color, uh, you know, since the days of Reagan, uh, I have been vilified. I've been called Uncle Tom. Uh, I've been called turncoat. Uh, just this last year, I was called a Nazi uh, because I had the temerity to say a couple of days after the election, or after the, uh, the inauguration, let's give this man a chance. Um, but, you know, there comes a point, there comes a point when you basically have to say enough is enough. And uh, I am, I am, I, I refuse to uh, give in to the fact that there's no one left in the Republican party uh, who feels the way that I do. I do not believe that Donald Trump represents uh, what, what the party of, of Lincoln is supposed to be about. He never has. And um, in this last, this last little episode uh, only placed a very, very ugly punctuation mark at the end of a very, very long page of uh, misdeeds and miswords by the President of the United States. It's sad. I have great respect for the office. I always will. But uh, I, do, I have none for the man sitting in the chair right now. None. And I don't think he deserves any. You don't, you don't, think, you don't think that the President deserves at least some? I mean, because if we hear what's coming out of uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders' mouth, even as late as today. Uh, in fact, she's still at the podium in the press briefing room right now. Uh, they still contend with the fact that sometimes the president used tough language. They're now questioning uh, whether or not the word was used. Is, is this just adding fuel to an already out of control brush fire, Alan Moore? Yeah, it is because the the argument now is that that he didn't say shithole, he said shithouse. Now, so what? If 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 that's true, that's kind of a, a legalism that might allow someone to say that he was not lying. And I'm thinking now of the two Republicans who were in the room, Senator Tom Cotton uh, and, and Senator uh, Purdue from Georgia, um, who said he didn't say that. Well, if he actually said, did say should house instead of should hold, technically that's correct. But do you really, really, really want to be the one who says there's a material difference there? Technically, maybe you're being truthful, but why do you want that argument that shit house is somehow okay while shit hole isn't? Um, here, remember what we're trying to do here, folks. Remember, we are desperately trying to, one, keep government going. The, the current spending bill expires, oh, my God, this Friday, three days from now. By that time, we have to come up with some kind of uh, spending bill, plan, short-term, whatever, that will continue allow government to keep its doors open past Friday, and 
In order to do that, you need at least 60 votes in the United States Senate. And the, the Democrats are now feeling like they've got some real momentum here to get a fix for the so-called dreamers, the, the so-called DACA fix, though 800,000 or so of people in this country who were brought here as children um, uh, by uh, illegally by their parents. They've been here a long right. time. They're clean. And most well, people want to fix this. But the, the question now is, if there is no DACA fix by this Friday, will Democrats vote to keep government open? And if they don't uh, agree in the Senate, we will not keep government open. And then there's this calculus that goes on of what, who, who wins or loses politically. It doesn't freaking matter who wins and loses politically. What matters is, and we've, we, we've learned this, it is enormously dangerous and disruptive to stop government for a period of time. It undercuts right. public confidence in the system and whether it can work or not. So we, you know, it, it, whether the president is in fact a racist or not, we could argue about, and if he is, that doesn't mean he can't function and can't govern. It just should make us sad and, and, and more cautious in the future. Right. But what we do care right. about is keeping the doors of the government right. open. And, and speaking of, and speaking the, of shitholes, the problem of the dreamers. Well, well, and speaking of shitholes and speaking of shit getting real, it's Dan Lipner Esquire. Daniel, hello. <laughs> what a great intro. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I don't know how to take that. And, and greetings from Mar-a-Lago North. Uh, <laughs> You're at Trump Tower? Uh, no, uh, the uh, new home in Rockville. Oh, congratulations. All right. So uh, you want to chime in on – you? I, I thought you were calling in to, to chime in. You were ready to go. Yeah, no, the, uh, the, the, the Trump stuff – is the Trump stuff, and to some extent, I'm uh, amazed that Tom uh, Cotton and the, uh, the the other Republican who has now backtracked on his own words um, have chosen to even continue engaging in the conversation. I don't know what the political upside is uh, for them there, other than pressure from the White House that the White House is going to say horrible things about them. Um, but I, I will say this to Alan's point. Yes, the government shutdown is is horrible um, and a bad idea. But I, the one thing that has kind of caught my attention with the bargaining, and to some extent, I think it's a deal that I would make, even though I think the wall is ridiculous. If 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 some funding for this stupid wall is what's required for DACA, I'd make that trade. But that's just me. I'm sorry. I, I, I guess here's the thing that I seems that, 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 that over the last few days um, seems to have uh, missed being brought up by any of the news outlets, and that's the fact that why are we talking about a funding bill for the wall? I remember with great clarity candidate Trump saying he was going to build a great big grand wall, and the Mexicans were going to pay for it. And in just about every news clip I've seen in the last four days, CNN, We're all MSNBC, Fox News have cut that part of the speech off. Why are we letting this guy dance around what he said he was going to do? 
because we're all Mexicans now. Yeah. Well, apparently, actually, apparently yeah. The, Mexican, the Mexican tax base also includes the lower 48 and the outlying two for the 50 states. Um, so humorous, humorous comment, humorous comment. But the serious point is, no one is holding his feet to fire on that. No one. Yeah, actually, on that one, Ken, we've we've been in just just unbelievable agreement today. Um, <laughs> so just to just to remind ourselves, it, it can't always be so. There have been a lot of references in in my observation over the last little time, including from Democrats who are ridiculing the president for apparently abandoning his the Mexicans will pay for it and that's prompted from the president uh, and his people uh, a little bit of commentary anyway that don't worry don't worry before we're done they will pay maybe through NAFTA maybe this way maybe that way so they're they they've they've it, I agree with you that that it's been largely abandoned but when it's been called out and it has had some attention um uh, they try to come up with some phony baloney notion. Well, yeah, they will pay. I think the other thing that's important here, and the reason that the Democrats, in, in, including Dan, would say let's take the deal, is the amount that would go for building, quote, the wall is pretty modest. The president has also now retreated from the notion of this 2,000-mile wall to – a few hundred miles that seem particularly vulnerable. The fact of the matter is, as we've said in the past, as we've said in the past, but there's Al- already Alan- ma- major fencing along significant parts of the border, and and we need to strengthen that and toughen but that up. Alan- and if some of that is for for physical barriers as well as staffing and technology, so be it. So it's part of. But Alan, here's compromise. a bigger problem, though. Here's a bigger problem. Quite frankly. The, the, if you are talking about immigration control and you're talking about the wall, okay, this is being done and it is being advised by people who do not get border security or border control. The wall's not the solution, and everybody involved in Homeland Security, a majority of people would tell you that is probably the case. The bigger issue here, I think, is the situation involving DACA. I tend to go with the question that Senator Lindsey Graham asked uh, Kirsten Nielsen, the Secretary of Homeland Security today, who got grilled in a Senate Judiciary hearing today regarding this situation, is how did a what appeared to be a bipartisan coming together almost a genius move by the White House to keep the cameras in there and have them come to some sort of at least starting point for an agreement on DACA, go on that Tuesday, go to the following Thursday, and have them do a complete reversal and now putting the government further at risk of going into shutdown. How does that happen? Why isn't the public and everybody media calling that into play, and why aren't they holding both parties accountable for that situation? This is a big problem. Why are we not sitting there and calling for president's accountability on basically lying to the people on camera 
because he did something else on the following Thursday and backed out of whatever. Okay. No, 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 no. Okay. Let's not get carried away here. Let's not get carried away in exaggerating what happened on Tuesday versus what happened on Thursday. On Tuesday, the president had 30 people in the room. He said, if you all can agree to something, I will sign it. Now that's a pretty, if you think about it, that's a pretty safe comment to make because you've got the far left and the far right in that room on that issue. So it, it's, you know, he's saying, I'll take the heat. Don't worry. You all agree. Right. It, and right. then, now just a minute, that's 30 people. Then two days later, two guys, Durbin and Lindsey Graham, representing six senators, that's all, just six, come in to talk about a compromise that they have come to that they would like to propose to the president he speaks that morning to Dick Durbin about it on the phone in a very friendly phone call and says, come on in at noon. At, but, but between the time of their phone call and the meeting, some people in the White House panicked and say, oh, my God, if we went with that deal, you'll have huge problems with your base. We need to bring some other folks into the meeting, and you can't buy that. That all shifted. This is, again, part of the problem with this president of agreeing to the, with the last person he talks to. So then these guys show up, Graham and, and Durbin, representing the, the, you know, the group of six, if you will, and Tom Cotton and, uh, and, and, um, and Purdue and Congressman Meadows, <laughs> this very conservative House uh, uh, member, and, and – <laughs> And, and some additional White House people, um, at which point the president decides that he needs to, to, to talk tough all of a sudden and send a different message. The president sent a very different message, but he did not, is all I'm saying, violate what he offered on Tuesday, which was to a group of 30, if you guys can agree, not a group, not two people representing six. So it, 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 I, I agree with Dan I think it was a pretty interesting deal. There were concessions from the Democrats that I wasn't expecting, um, and and I thought that it was wasn't a bad deal at all. It just shows how far removed I am from this. And but but unfortunately, then the shit show began, and that has be, you know sort of dominated. But, but wait, the wait, talk wait, 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 Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on for a second, Alan. You mean to tell me that? When when Lindsey Graham and Dick Durbin are in the president's office, Dick Durbin has talked to the president earlier in the day saying, look, we think we have a compromise. There might be some little things that we have to write out. And, and again, I'm paraphrasing. I wasn't in the room or on the call, but paraphrasing from several sources that have talked about this exact situation. The, the president, in the span of the time he talked to Senator Durbin, to the time that he's in the room with Senator Lindsey Graham and Senator Durbin, which, by the way, Senator Graham backs up Dick Durbin's uh, accounting of what happened. You mean to tell me that that doesn't show a flagrant breach of, I don't want to say protocol, I want to say breach of trust between having somebody's word and saying, all right, we're on our way down to the White House to knock out some of the details with you, and in between that ride down Pennsylvania Avenue, the president busts through and says, "Nope, no good." I mean, is is that to you're, me? You're, you're, you're missing the point, man. What am I missing? You're missing the point. 
So there's two things. Missing? There's two things you got to know about Donald Trump. He believes in a in, in a transactional relationship. He's not going to give something unless he gets something that he wants. That's the first thing. That's the first point you're missing. Number two, do you really in your heart of hearts think that Donald Trump gives a rat's butt about DACA kids? Really? You, you know what? Maybe I've, maybe I've swallowed too much of the idealistic pill this week. But, yeah, you know what? One should have to have a little bit of hope that these are these are kids that have done nothing intentionally wrong on their account. Don't they argue that at all. By their parents. Don't argue it at all. So one would think that there would when we have a president, we have a president that shows compassion. Our parties had George W. Bush, even Ronald Reagan showed compassion. George and he's W. Nothing Bush like these people, Justin. Well, you know what? Then if 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 that if if that is something, if that is a if this is a situation where there's no sort of compassion, we really have to be concerned about you know this going forward with this man as our president. Which we have to anyway, but that's beside the point. But, but it's, it's, it's not just compassion at play there. There's also a political spine, which Donald Trump clearly doesn't have much of. So it's, the, the history on the wanting to do immigration reform goes down a couple of different roads. And keep in mind, the first time this started, uh, at least most recently, the first time this started, was under poor George W. Bush when he started talking about comprehensive immigration reform and the, the radical base that seemingly doesn't want any immigration at all lit him up from the right. And those are the same folks that went ballistic from Trump's press conference or uh, not press conference, me, the meeting with the members of the of Congress. Those folks, that are, for lack of a better phrase, some combination of either racist or crazy, um, seem to have an absolute veto. And unless this president grows a spine and will stand up to those folks, even though they are his base, or comes up with, or the left and folks who want to get something done for the dreamers convince those dreamers to have a rally for Donald Trump saying, we love you preemptively so he can see some other base out there, it's not quite clear how this gets done. But knowing the history and the political landscape matters. And it's that small group of folks that have been able to veto anything consistently because they're completely against immigration on any front. But how can, but how can Congress deal with a president you know the one thing that has always been somewhat of a constant as far as having things get done in this town is the fact that there was a certain honor amongst thieves that if you walked into the white house and you had a democrat and a republican they sit there and say mr president we think we have a deal will you get on board with this if the president says yes that was pretty much good for them. Now it seems that the president can flip on a, on literally on a moment's notice 
depending on how the wind blows, how does Congress expect to get anything done in this town with a president that they can't even guarantee you know, before the time it takes a law to get from the Hill down to his desk that he won't veto it? If my, well, if my, if my, friends, if my friends from from Texas and Alabama that are Trump supporters were on the line, they would say, well, it's because he's an unconventional president. He, 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 likes, he likes ruling through chaos, and that's, that's the way he gets things done. Alan Moore. Yeah, and, and, they, and they, in addition to, to what, what, what Ken said, they would say, we love a, guy, a president who calls it as he sees him, who talks like we do. Um, the problem is, and it's the problem that I think that you're that, that you're that you're getting to. I just I don't think the facts quite fit it in this particular case. That how can you deal with somebody who doesn't keep his word? Um, I'm not saying that the president has, is good about keeping his word because he is shifting constantly. Um, uh, but 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 remember, sorry to bring no no just a minute. I'm, oh. No no I'm sorry to repeat myself. He made an offer to 30 people, House, Senate, um, very conservative and, 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 and middle ground, if you will, that if they could come up with something, he would accept it. They, the 30, did not come up with something. A group of six senators came up with something that they'd been working on that showed a lot of compromise and a lot of effort that had the – and this is the sad part – had the president gotten behind it, had the president said, I want to think about this. Let me get back to you. Tell me what you're thinking. Let people talk about it rather than go off on these tangents and, and dig more holes for himself. He could, have, he could have said, as most presidents would have done in this circumstance, um, I'm, you guys are making some interesting progress. I don't think we're there yet. Um, uh, I want to hear from some other voices, but uh, this is a this is a promising start, and and he doesn't have to offend the 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 the, the anti-immigration right side folks. Some of whom are actually working on compromises of their own that have a whole different tone to them, but they're not do nothing. Um, and, and and yet he doesn't have the capacity. To do that, he got charged up and decided to be charged up. He's known to be highly profane and opt for the vulgar. That's fine. Unfortunately, in, 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 in going in that direction, he crossed what some of us consider to be this racist boundary of condemning the human beings from particular countries and parts of the world who have had some extreme events that caused people to want to rip up uh, uh, their roots and go elsewhere. Most people, but, folks, but, including poor people from poor, not well-functioning countries, don't want to leave their home country. They okay, don't but, want to. America Alan, loves to think everybody wants to come here. Most people don't. Alan, but if they think understanding, die, understanding your point, uh, understanding your point of, you know, the 30 people in the room on Tuesday versus the, the people in the room on Thursday, 
however we want to go through and and look at that as being was it a hard deal was it a solid deal at least it was a compromise solution brought up by six senators and in this time of you know dealing with the super eight the group of eight the group of six if six senators in the if six senators three Republicans, three Democrats get together and say, hey, I think we got a deal here. The other 24 will more than likely come around. That's the greatness of the Senate. But to say that, to me, what is the bigger problem here is that even if the president, and we can argue about this all day long, but even if the president said, I'll take the heat, you guys come up with a deal, when they do give him a possible deal, he blows it out of the water. That, 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 you, you can't have it both ways, Mr. President. At some point, you've got to at least show some backbone because you don't like the, the, the fact that you were talking about immigration on cameras in front of 30 people in the cabinet room and the rest of America for an hour. Hey, you have to answer your base. I get that. But you can't, ha- you can't flip-flop like that and say that these places are a shithole and say racist comments like we should take more from Norway. It, it just makes no sense. It makes no sense to me. Dan, you want to jump in on this? What's wrong with Norway? I mean, you, I mean, Ludafis can be good depending on when you have it. <laughs> Where, are you? Are you? Are you high? <laughs> He's excited about his new house. He is. He is. is He's having a moment. He's dried. (laughs) Are you you anti-Norwegian? Do you you have an anti-Norwegian bigotry? He's a young guy having a senior moment. We're going to take a break. We're going to let the air clear out in uh, Dan Dan Lipner's house so he can get some fresh oxygen. We're going to take a quick break. This is Backroom Politics Live from the National Capital Region. And apparently... A very fumigated house in in Maryland. We'll be back in three minutes. Stay with us.
backroom politics. And we're back here live on Blog Talk Radio uh, talking about the possible government shutdown, DACA, and the president's shit show comments uh, regarding immigration as it's moving forward. The uh, breaking news also coming out of Washington just now, uh, CNN is reporting that the Justice Department has officially appealed the court ruling blocking the effort of the administration to end the Deferred Action Against Childhood uh, Arrivals, or DACA. Uh, That pretty much brings it to the appellate court. Dan Lipner, is is this something that you think the appeals court is going to overturn? the lower court's uh, ruling blocking the administration from King DACA? Dan Lipner? <laughs> He's passed out. We, he passed out from all the fumes. Uh, the, the one time I need him for a legal question, he's passed out. Good grief. Uh, anyway, we'll get back to that in a second. But well, it, still, it, it, um, it, is, it, it is legal in Maryland, so that's all I'm saying. <laughs> and the District of Columbia, might I add. Um, let's get back to this. To me, Alan Moore, it, it, it seems that the GOP and even the Democrats are playing with a really, really unstable stick of dynamite in threatening to go to just uh, to go to government shutdown on the general immigration question let alone uh, DACA and the wall being a part of it. Is is this just political chicken that we're seeing going on right now, or are the threats real by both sides? You know, I hope it's just chicken. Usually it's just chicken, but every now and then um, a a calculus is made um, or, or, or events play out in such a way that folks' hands get tied um, where we don't come to an agreement. Uh, we've shut down the government a couple times in the last decade, and it never, it's never worked out well for Republicans because it's been a, it's been a, uh, a Democratic president and, and, uh, uh, and, and Republicans who stopped it. Um, and and uh, uh, we get Republicans get hammered. Um, and and what what happened in those cases? The Republicans had the ability to stop in the Congress uh, against a White House who's just trying to keep government uh, uh, running. I said the last ten years. I actually went back to Clinton and and Gingrich, um, and then there was a, a time with President Obama, and it and, and the, the Republicans got hammered for it. And and so what what Republicans are thinking is, wow, um, we can blame. The Democrats, if they uh, don't allow a spending bill to go through and government has to shut down, well, that's fine, except the public doesn't really understand this stuff. They don't understand the, the challenges in the Senate and the fact that you need 60 votes and the, the Republicans have <laughs> have just 51. So um, if the Democrats are united on the Senate, on a strategy, uh, you, you can't get something done and the Democrats may decide – Wow, I think we can blame the president for being intransigent and unwilling to deal with a, a sympathetic case um, that, that even the president in the past has acknowledged is sympathetic. We didn't. That at one point, I think his daughter got to him and he said, "You know that that that's actually a group that's that's, that's kind of a group of innocents." But that was many. That was a long, long time ago. Who knows where he is now? I'm not saying he cares that much. But but the president and and the Republicans 
absolutely have to get some Democratic votes in the Senate. And if they say we can't swallow your demands on uh, on immigration, particularly DACA, in the next three days, um, uh, and the Democrats say then you will get no votes from us, then we're at a stalemate. And uh, I, I'm guessing that we'll kick the can down the road another few weeks. We'll go right up to the, uh, the, the 12th hour, maybe some little concession uh, here or there. The, 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 there's, a, <laughs> there's a lot of consternation out there. The defense folks desperately want more money for, uh, for the military um, and, and seem on, on the way to getting some additional funding but only if they can get a longer-term deal. So it's not just keeping the doors open through the weekend and, and coming weeks, but there's a lot of other issues that are, that are part of all of this. So this stuff was supposed to have been resolved by last October 1st when the current fiscal year began. And now here we are in the fourth month into this current fiscal year operating on last year ground rules spending levels uh and so on and there's a whole host of problems associated with that but it's all kind of dwarfed right now by the immediate uh, uh back and forth politics ugliness lack of trust we'll see what happens on friday dan lipner you back with us nope still passed out nope Admiral no, Ken. I, 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 I am back with you <laughs> Thank you. Because okay. Getting worried there for a we second. Were call, we were going to call nine one one. Yeah, no kidding. It's all about Again, wow, with the Ludafix. Dan, real quickly, uh, two questions for you. Number one, uh, we were reporting at the uh, beginning of the segment that, uh, in fact, the Justice Department has appealed the lower court's ruling blocking the uh, administration's efforts to end DACA. Uh, real quick question on that. Does this pretty much paint a, uh, a pathway to the Supreme Court? Do you think that the appellate courts are going to overturn the lower court ruling on this one? Yeah, I'm not really certain what the... Uh, from what I've seen and read on it, uh, I, I'm uncomfortable with the 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 legal standing uh, for the hold. Uh, however, and this is not my area of expertise, but the president does have some executive authority and the uh, creating a right by executive authority uh, as Obama did and, and removing it by executive authority. So all of it begins to make me uncomfortable just on a legal front. Really? I mean, difficult to talk about or difficult as far as the legal standing of, of the ruling? No, no, I mean, legal standing of the ruling. Obviously, I would prefer that the, the DACA issue stand and actually be uh, uh, codified by Congress. So it, this is no longer a question that can be changed by the whims of a, uh, a, a president of, of, of questionable uh, mental ability. I would, I would prefer it done in another way, but this is, it goes all the way back to the reason Obama was, was hesitant to do this for his presidency is he acknowledged that there, there was, there was some tentativeness 
uh, as far as how much uh, real protections the people who were protected by DACA would have from a changing administration. So, and I think there is something to that. So the other question I have, well, before I go there, let me ask this question to you, Dan. Does does the Supreme Court get a hold of this? Does this go all the way to the top? Uh, well, that, that also depends. This this White House seems to have taken the 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 approach of just changing its position. Uh, if things get too hard, do something else and do it again. Uh, that was the with the their their last. Uh, immigration ban. Each time things started working their way up the courts, they changed it, and then changed it again, and then changed it again. Uh, when the facts didn't line up with, with with their initial assertions, they withdrew it and then changed it again. So I suspect they will saber rattle for a little bit more and then change it again, because that's what this White House does. And does um, does the issue as far as the government shutdown for Democrats, are the, I asked Alan Moore earlier if he thought that this was just a game of political chicken or are they really looking for pushing the big red button on this one? Does the, do the Democrats, are the Democrats banking that they do get the government shutdown, they will get their solution for DACA, there won't be the wall on the budget, and on top of all that, that if there is a government shutdown, nine times out of ten, it always makes the Republicans look bad. Or, you know, are they are they being serious about taking this to to the mat? Well, there's a bunch of parts to that, as you as you listed off, and you have to, you have to add a couple other elements to that. One of which is a, a fair number of the Trump voters uh, fall under. The, uh, the the ill-informed, uh, low-information voters. Unfortunately, when the government shuts down, people suddenly remember, oh, that's great, keeping the government's hands off my Medicare or Social Security check, um, that's the government, which they conveniently forget when the Medicare and Social Security check is coming. So when the government shutdown occurs, there is the potential for a reset for those low-information voters to suddenly remember, that's right, the government does stuff that I like. Um, it's when they do stuff for those other guys, it's stuff that I don't like. That's one problem. Uh, add to that a White House that has pro- proven less than adept at handling any sort of crisis, other than trying to do smoke and mirrors and say, look over there, Hillary Clinton did something. Well, when the government shuts down, uh, it's hard to point the finger at Hillary Clinton as the blame. I have no doubt they'll try, but it's hard to blame her. So there's a, there's a lot of potential room for political wins. Um, as far as the final outcome is, that's, that's for the horse trading for, for the people in the room. But at the moment, why not why not play the hand out since you think the guy on the other on the other side of the table has no idea what he's doing and has no cards in his hand at all? So why not play it? Admiral, can you agree? It pains me to do so, but Dan's right. Really? You really <laughs> believe that? Wow, Alan Moore, you concur with all, both of them, huh? Well, I 
let, let's see how this plays out. I, you know, Trump is convinced that he can uh, lay the blame on the Democrats. Uh, most observers and, and most Democrats think that if this fails, that the, 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 the Republicans will take the hit. That's, that's where the problem is. The president believes that he has the power to successfully blame the Democrats. Now, the third of a, the country that follows him, they're, 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 they're resolved. The third of the country that absolutely hates him in every instance, maybe that's a bigger number now. It's like there's nothing he can do. And then there's this group in the middle that's been moving away from Trump, um, uh, many of whom really don't understand how the, the, this stuff works and are likely to simply say, wait, Republicans have the White House, the Senate, and the House. If government doesn't get funded, how do you not blame them? It, it, there's no nuance to it at all. It, it, it's simply that, that, that basic fact. So the, the, Republic, the Democrats are certainly holding most of the cards right now. Having said that, I think the Democrats also realize that whenever the government shuts down, all of Washington loses. It's not sort of a, gee, hey, we won that one. It's like, no, we got the better of the other guys but we all lost. The country holds all of us in greater contempt after this. It's complicated. I, I still think they'll, you know, they'll pull some rabbit out of the out of the hat by uh, by midnight uh, Friday, and we'll do this again a few weeks down the road. You think? Here, here's the thing: is how long can we keep taking this can down the road? Uh, start with you, Dan Lipner. As long as it takes to kick a can all the way to Norway. <laughs> Is that a can of sardines? Oh, my God. You know, I will give Dan Lipner credit. When he grabs onto something, he runs the board with it. Admiral Ken, how far can we kick this can down the road? This can't be helpful for government. Well, look at how long we've been doing it. And 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 in jest, I, I will agree with Dan. But in seriousness, I will agree with Dan. We've been doing this lack of an ability to pass a budget. Now, I, I can't remember the last time we passed the budget. I, I you know was was I'm trying to remember. I, I think I might have been in college. I'm not sure. But uh, you know, we, we, we've been doing this now. This has become standard operating procedure for. Uh, the budget and Congress to to uh, to pass continuing resolutions, continuing resolutions one after the other. Make Oslo great again. <laughs> Man, enough with Norway. Oh my gosh, we're gonna we're gonna take a quick break. When when we come back, <laughs> when we come back, we're gonna prize. What's that? The new Nobel Prize in the political Nobel governance. Prize. When we come back, we're going to continue our discussion. Uh, the, the real, the, the real. We're going to continue our discussion, but we're going to lead it off with, you know, really, have we missed the opportunity to show true compromise in government and get it working again? We'll talk about that when we come back. This is Backroom Politics Live on Blog Talk Radio. Stay with us. This is Backroom Politics, live on Blog Talk Radio. We'll be back in a few minutes. Stay with us.
politics. We'll be back momentarily. Stay with us. talk show you know of it is Backroom Politics Live on Blog Talk Radio. Uh, we can start from the pre- Alan Moore, did the, did the Republicans and Democrats really miss out on a true opportunity to show the public that they can really make government work and compromise on this last deal with immigration and DACA? Well, the final chapter is not written yet, but, you know, in a matter of days, we went from something, you know, just a week ago, we saw this extraordinary meeting at the White House, uh, most of which was televised, or an hour's worth was televised, in part for all the wrong reasons. That is, that the president wanted to demonstrate that he could be in charge, could function, that he was stable, and perhaps even if, if we were true believers, a genius. Um, he, he didn't handle the meeting very well. He was constantly shifting. Uh, he was tempted to to uh, accommodate uh, Diane Feinstein at one point, uh, causing House Majority Leader 
uh, Kevin McCarthy to jump in and remind the president um, that that uh, of course we would also need to have have some other things attached. It was not a it was not a fabulous show. It was odd, but at least it was it was a lot more transparent than anything we've seen uh, to some to some, to the horror of some and in you know public interest of others it, at least. And then he said, I'll take some heat. You guys come up with a deal. I'll sign it. And two days later, um, uh, in, a, in a small meeting, he, he is not, he is not uh, receptive to some genuine compromise efforts. I, as we said before, I wasn't expecting him to embrace, um, but at least maybe embrace the progress, the hard work, uh, <coughs> the path that this might put us upon instead of going nasty and ugly and vulgar and profane and controversial and step all over uh, himself uh, again. Uh, the one winner from last week was, uh, uh, was Steve Bannon who had been in the crosshairs of everybody. And suddenly everybody's not talking about Steve Bannon anymore, except for the, the, <laughs> the subpoena from uh, the Mueller grand jury. It, it, it's just this constant shift and change. We are we have this fabulous opportunity, and I think this is what makes Republicans so crazy, and and plenty of independents, and maybe even a few Democrats. That uh, the election was a surprise. It reflected uh, the, the the stepping up of of some folks who felt forgotten, who made themselves but, heard, and and the and the election came out. There was a great right. chance for. Working right. together, and this president has constantly, again and again and again, screwed that up. He has been right. very fortunate that the economy has done very well. He takes all credit for that, of course, but forgets and ignores the fact that some of the things he wanted to do economically, a massive tariff, for example, and tossing out NAFTA, um, uh, would have made things far worse you want to you want to cause the the stock market to, to swing down cancel nafta uh impose massive tariffs on uh, on the chinese um fortunately those have gone silent but nonetheless lots of good news um you know you can you can only pat yourself on the back for neil gorsuch for so long um right but but uh but but he's been extremely lucky and and uh uh, of course, he doesn't see it that way, and his his folks say most effective first year presidency in the history of the world, which is of course complete and total non nonsense and ignorance. Right. Um, but 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 uh, it's opportunity missed, 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 and it is it is at the same time all of his ugly talk um, generated this amazing level of interest among Democrats. We saw it in the seven different elections in 2017, particularly in Virginia, and again in Alabama, New Jersey, where the Democrats are energized, women are energized, Republicans are cowering with fear, or in many cases retiring, about what this could mean for this coming November. So, Ken, we look at what Last Tuesday, at the press conference that we've been talking about, and then what happened since last Thursday when the shit comments came out or shit old comments came out. It, it seems to me that uh, do you think somebody got to the president and said, "Hey, pull another stuff 
like what you pulled on Tuesday, you're going to lose your base. And can Donald Trump cover his base? Um, so I guess the real answer to the question is I don't know. Um, I'll follow up by saying uh, the president has been consistent in in uh, in one one area. I mean, one area for sure, two, arguably a second. The one area that I, I guess I, I come to first is his his belief that he can continue to be Donald Trump. That when people try to tell him, you know, you've got to we got to pivot, you got to be more presidential. Um, you know, I, I I think it's safe to say that the pivot's not coming. That's that's not going to happen. So to to believe that someone has gotten to him and said and, and warned him to, you know, to cut cut out the annex. Don't believe it, not for a minute. And even if they did, don't believe he's going to listen to it. Uh, the second area is that he's been consistent on is is has been the creation of his own narrative. Um, he is he's a genius. Um, this is he's gotten more done in the first year of his presidency than any other president before him. Uh, the list goes on and on. And I think as long as he feels free to get on. Uh, television, uh, get on Twitter, and to create this narrative uh, that is echoed and um, and, and retweeted and, and, uh, and ex- expounded on uh, uh, infin- infinitesimally by his followers, um, he will continue to believe that he can just go ahead and be Trump and not worry about the flack that may come along with it because everybody loves him. So even if even if you're right, if somebody got to him, I, I don't think he's gonna listen to it. Sorry, Dan Lipner, which which is more powerful in, in in the public party right now, the Donald Trump creating his own narrative or the the base that Donald Trump brings? Well, I don't think Donald Trump brings the base uh, after he finishes his aquavit, the base is going to go to whoever is singing the same song that he happens to be rattling off. None of this stuff is new. And my point from before is the same folks who killed the last attempt at immigration reform are just the people that Trump has co-opted. I'm sure he's going to suggest that somehow he is the first person to do this stuff. And Worse yet, some of his band of merry followers are going to uh, uh, steal Admiral Ken's quote there. And uh, Admiral Ken, if you uh, you're going to need some coaching if you if you ever want to put your name on a ballot because the Donald Trump the genius line is very easy to edit right from your own words. Uh, <laughs> uh, so the. The, the question is whether or not the Republicans in office who actually believe this stuff is nonsense are going to stand up against it or at least take a step to try and educate people. I mean, Lindsey Graham has tried on occasion, but he's been a lonely voice. Uh, I mean, he's one of the folks that said, listen, there, there aren't enough white Republicans to sustain this nonsense in the long term. We got to change. And the, but there's not many people out there who are listening and are taking courageous stands or, or who are paying attention to demographics or destiny. So this nonsense can keep going back, 
can keep going back and forth and they can keep beating the drum, but numbers will eventually just be against them. And the, the question is, how long will it take the Republican Party to recover once that, once that tipping point is hit? Well, I think the bigger question, Alan, Alan Moore, I'll put this to you, is, is what is the bigger driving factor to Donald Trump? Is the base to him, the, the people who listen to that whistle all day long, is the base that important to him? Or is it the, him creating the narrative and driving the narrative that gets the win whether it's killing DACA or being the big peacemaker, bringing everybody together and looking like the, you know, the great president he wants to look like, which is more important in the eyes of the Republican party and Trump? Well, so there's a, there's a difference between what's important to the Republican party and what's important to Donald Trump. And, and, and that difference is, is just plaguing, um, uh, Republicans, um, because Republicans actually care about uh, Republicans in the Congress now actually care about governing, getting stuff done. They care about preserving and protecting their majorities, which uh, were fragile at the beginning and, and now um, are really fragile. And they've looked at damage that was done that that was that was by and large avoidable damage that Republicans in the Congress attribute to the president. And they're caught between a rock and a hard place of how much to try to disassociate themselves and separate themselves. They there's a lot of criticism leveled at, at Republicans who don't speak out against their president. Um, I have more sympathy to, to them. I'm not in their shoes. I'm not trying to get elected. I'm not trying to keep uh, uh, my constituents happy. Um, uh, my funders happy, uh, et cetera. I think that the silence of so many speaks volumes. Unfortunately, silence is not, <laughs> is not heard. Um, uh, we, historically, when you find a president under, under attack, um, you find the, their partisans uh, in the party, in the, in the Congress, uh, coming to the defense you're not seeing that with Donald Trump, but the Republicans who are choosing to, 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 to speak in quieter voices, or you, you, you have to know that people in the Senate, for example, are talking to their own leadership, to Mitch McConnell and to John Cornyn, who's the, 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 the assistant majority leader saying, we got this problem. We got this. You got to speak out. You got to do this. And, and there have to be all sorts of conversations with, uh, with John Kelly and others. Um, and they're all kind of uh, shrugging their shoulders and, 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 and holding their hands, palms up saying, I'm not sure what we do. This is the guy. Um, and, and uh, you're damned if you do, and you're damned if you don't, if you don't speak out, you're, you're uh, accused of being complicit. Um and if you do speak out, you're going to become attacked and isolated. And, uh, uh, and at the end of the day, these guys are trying to, uh, to legislate. Lindsey Graham's comments but, after the Thursday meeting were very telling. He said, I don't have any disagreement with, with, with how the, the meeting was, was characterized. But what I'm interested in is getting this thing done. And, and, and the more time we spent talking about what was or was not said in a meeting, the, that's time taken away from solving this problem 
which is time sensitive, which is really important and which we need to do. And that has to be our priority. It's really hard to, to, to take control of the narrative when the president is, is all over the lot saying ugly racist things um, and, and uh, playing to this third of the country that, that, that he seems to need to stroke him and support him and not care about the rest of the two-thirds of the country. So, Alan Moore, um, uh, Admiral Ken, let me go to you and ask this question, going off of what we just heard from Alan. Is there a way that Republicans in Congress can talk to Republicans with, without having to embrace the 30% Donald Trump-based fan club that usually surrounds his organization, can, can they be effective without having to draw in that 30% base? I think they, they can. I, I think the real issue is do they believe that they can? Uh, I think that depending on how the midterm elections go later this year, uh, you may start to see um, the, 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 that silent group of Republicans who are sitting in the corner saying the same things that you heard me say earlier in the show, that this is not what they signed up for. This is not what they believe in. And, and, and if they truly are interested in keeping their jobs, they're going to have about two years time to basically change, change the, uh, the narrative. Um, however, if through some unique set of circumstances, um, the Republican party manages to hold on to the house and the Senate, um, uh, by, you know, just by good margins, not even great margins, but just by good margins then I don't think you're going to see, um, much change in the behavior uh, of of, uh, of the party, and people like Jeff Flake uh, are going to become, um, you know, even more ostracized, ostracized than they are right now. Uh, I think, quite frankly, you know, my belief is that um, the the seventy percent of the country uh, that's causing President Trump to have approval ratings, you know, somewhere in the high twenties, uh, if they get out and vote are going to send a message similar to what we saw in Virginia a few weeks ago and um, similar to what we saw in Alabama in uh, last month that, you know, there's going to be a reckoning and uh, people are going to listen and behaviors are going to change. Uh, I am, I, I got to admit, I'm excited and I hope I, you know, get to live long enough to see uh, what happens in, uh, in November, because I tell you, it's going to get really sporty. Uh, come October, November time frame, and it's going to be really interesting to see the behavior of everybody concerned here, the president, um, his staff, the cabinet, Congress, Senate, uh, the Democrats. It's, this, is, this is probably going to be one of the best election years I think we've seen in a long time. Dan Lutner, does, does it help the Democrats if, in fact, uh, Republicans can't separate themselves from that 30%? Yeah, I'm not certain they can because they've been dancing with them for so long. They haven't really spent any time introducing themselves to, well, the people who aren't that 30%. And off-year elections and competitive races aren't, don't show up that often with the, as gerrymandered as many maps are, uh, both Democrat and Republican. But the Republicans that have had to dance with 
with the crazy because the crazy shows up. That's also worth mentioning. Uh, those folks show up to town hall meetings. They protest the Tea Party folks. Uh, and the, they can be intimidating, and it's a problem. So when the numbers are telling you one thing, but the crowd in front of your office is telling you something else, you now have a, have a problem and decisions to make that aren't necessarily easy because those numbers are based on projections of turnouts of last elections, and traditionally off-year elections don't have great turnout. If this one's different, what do you do? So you have a group of voters that are hard to identify that you haven't talked to in four, six, ten years, if not longer, or do you just keep talking to the people who you've been talking to the whole time that are also the Trump people? It's, those are some hard choices. And to Ken's point, yeah, it's going to make for an interesting election cycle, and you're going to have some Republicans making some really interesting choices. And the question is, who's going to make it right? Who's going to make it wrong? There's going to be some 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 uh, cross information that people who stick with Trump are going to win. Some who who bail on Trump are going to win as well, and and vice versa. So it it'll the the, the uh, history will be written by who the Speaker of the House is uh, in the next year. Not and this is all that's going to be at play. Alan Moore. Going off what Ken, off what Dan was saying, is are, is the Republican Party too far down the road to separate Trump and Trump following from the rest of the party and getting them out to vote? Well, it, it, it's going to you know remember elections are all about particular individuals in particular places. Uh, I uh, I disagree with Dan that Republicans have made no effort to get to know uh, anybody other than the 30 or 33 percent. That's frankly absurd. Most of the people who are serving uh, got a lot more than 33 percent to win their last elections. They pay attention to the people who vote for them. They try to raise money in, uh, broadly if if they're in a depending upon how. Uh, how conservative, how Republican uh, their state uh, may be, they're always trying to 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 expand uh, uh, their the, their their group of voters. They, we've got this this Trump base, which is an important part of it. That's that's what is so challenging for them because they don't want to turn that group uh, away, but they know that that's not enough to win elections, and and they've always known that. And some of these people have won with sixty uh, plus percent. Uh, of the voters, it's it's way more than uh, uh, than the Trump base that we're talking about. It's 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 uh, independents, uh, it's members of the other party who 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 feel comfortable and good about a particular member, uh, you know, in this case, a, a particular Republican. Um, uh, but but right now we've got this wave of anger, this wave of distress. Um, uh, this wave of disgust um, that is energizing uh, Democrats in ways that we have not seen. The Virginia experience, the Alabama experience were very informing and very frightening to Republicans because they could see that records for, uh, uh, for isolated elections or, or therefore off-year type elections um, uh, are are in the making, and 
uh, off-year elections um, uh, have tended to work in for Republicans. They tend to be more loyal. Older voters tend to, to skew Republican. But that whole calculus is truly up in the air, and all the evidence so far from the last year is that that the opposition is going to be energized. And these are people who they may not hate the candidate who they've maybe supported in the past, but they may hate Donald Trump or hate the direction uh, of the country um, and be, and, and be uh, excited about a Democrat, um, many of whom will be women this time. Um, I mean, there's a lot of cross currents that are, that are out there. It's not just Trump. It's uh, the whole me too movement. Um, uh, energized women uh, who who uh, are not finding a lot with uh, with Donald Trump uh, to uh, to be attracted to, um, and uh, it, it's as Ken accurately said, this is going to be an amazing election uh, to watch. Um, you know, the stakes are significant. Every election is important <laughs> in America because it affects uh, the future. And and, right. and uh, look look back a year and and think about how. Uh, how consequential that uh, presidential election uh, uh, has been. Um, so that Republicans have every reason to be really nervous. Um, I'm I'm not about to predict anything at this point. Lots can happen. And a strong right. economy, which we have, uh, is is typically continues to be the number one issue people most care about. So you can't just beat a bad idea, beat somebody you're disgusted with, with nothing. Uh, people say, I don't like any of these people, but I like the direction we're going. So I'm not going to rock the boat. That's, that's a weak, uh, a weak read on which, uh, even, even, Republicans even though, the, even though this grower, to, to the strong economy thing. Yeah. Even, even though this, even though the stock market, if they're, if they're using the stock market as their metric of a healthy economy, we got a bigger problem. Well, stock market and, and, you know, we're going to get we, we've talked about the tax bill before, but but your, people are going to start getting bigger paychecks, uh, larger take home pay starting in uh, next month. And it's going to be millions and millions and millions of Americans who are going to see a, 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 are going to see a bump in their take home pay. And that kind of <laughs> that kind of thing matters to folks. They may be yeah, disgusted well, with Trump. And, and what's sad? And what's sad? And what's sad is that about a year later in April, when they're no longer able to write off um, uh, a good uh, amount of taxes worth uh, of that they were able to do before, they're going to see that that take-home pay went to net. But uh, again, I, I will say that the uh, this year would be a very interesting year politically. Yeah, I agree. All right. Well, with that, we're coming up in the last couple of minutes. I want on behalf of Admiral Ken Kierdine, the Honorable Alan Moore, Dan Lipner, or as we know him today, Olaf Gusterson. Uh, I'm the moderator, Justin Russell. We will be back next week live from the National Capital Region on the best political talk hey. show you've never heard of. This has been Backroom Politics Live on blog talk radio you can follow us on twitter at backroom politic you can follow us on our facebook page uh facebook.com backroom politics radio you can also email me your concerns your thoughts at uh justin at backroompolitics.org uh have a great week america and oh by the way in case you forgot the president's a healthy person take this time to
thank your stars that we've got a healthy president at least. We'll talk soon. Bye-bye. This is Backroom Politics.